KRCL, Salt Lake City. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders. Weeknights at 6 right here on 90.9 FM KRCL. I'm Laura Jones in studio on Tuesday nights with the professor, Nick Wednesday. Burns. Uh, it's Wednesday nights. You still got a little of that it's, Lauren Bacall going on. It's all that cough medicine that I'm taking. <laughs> Too much codeine? Oh, uh, no. I Actually, I need the codeine. I've been coughing so hard, I tore some cartilage. Oh. Anyway, woe is me. I sound like an 80-year-old woman complaining about the weather and how it affects you, my rheumatism. Organs are talking to you. They, they are, and I just don't know how I earned it, Nick. But you were out it's, last week because you weren't feeling well. It's the years. Yeah. It's the mileage, not the years. It's the mileage, not the years. I know that's a movie quote, but it sure applies to me. <laughs> yes, I was out last week with uh, <clears throat> probably the norovirus, which is, yeah. some listeners will know under its other name, the winter vomiting disease. Oh but, my gosh. but that's enough to talk about that. Um, if you got kids, <laughs> good way, right? Good way oh. to start out the show, folks. Yeah. Good way Billy, to start out the show. Billy Palmer is here, also yeah. Natalie Benoit. So, Nick, what's coming up on the show? Well, everyone should wash their hands frequently. That's the yes. one thing. But on the show tonight on Radioactive, we're going to talk about this new book, The Clean Energy Age, A Guide to Beating Climate Change. This is a great book, an easy read, fully researched, fully cited, fully indexed, full of all kinds of very intriguing top 10 lists, uh-huh. top 10 things you can do to your home, top 10 things you can do if you're a tradesperson person, top did things you could do if you were an administrator. Uh, it's really a pretty fun book, and then it goes more into detail from there. We'll have the author on the show tonight. Also, Sage Grouse mm-hmm. on the chopping block again, and we want to talk about that on the show tonight. And we got a little bit going here for Halloween and That's scary right. stories. We, we want people's scary stories. Yeah. Stick around for a, a call for stories. You know, when it comes to the environment, Nick, I, I kind of feel like I've done what I can, so I'm interested to hear what the author has to say what I can do because he breaks it into different you know categories like if you're a doctor if you're a doctor what could you do if you're an administrator what could you do if you're a plumber or an electrician what could you do it's really pretty interesting book I really enjoyed reading it um, and he, he I, I want to ask the author the very last few sentences are sit back take a few deep breaths and be peaceful which oh which is so he's not worried he says this is doable. It's oh, very doable. He talks about a hundred million. He quotes Forbes magazine: a hundred million electric cars on the road in twelve years. Uh, not a fan of atomic power. Uh, he says there's nothing natural about natural gas. But he says, hey, the sun shines by day and the wind blows at night. Basically, what's the problem? There you go. Well, let's get some rallies and resources on Billy Palmer. Happily. You know, I'm going to do something a little bit out of the ordinary. Okay. Um, I just got a message from a few of my friends. They're asking me, and I think I would like to ask other people. Pantsuit Nation has put together a letter uh, over the weekend. We learned of the Trump administration's sweep and cruel plans to define transgender out of existence with the series of rules. Uh, while no administration can erase the experiences of transgender people, we must take action to forcefully reject this hateful proposal and to let our trans community members know they hashtag won't be erased. And so they're having folks sign a letter. I'm about to do that, and I would uh, say that uh, if, you, if you want to do something uh, um, that this action is, is bothering you, there is many things that you can do to support uh, our trans community. But I'm going to go ahead and do that, and okay. I'll, I'll say, put hey. Put it in the show notes so people can follow Absolutely. We'll put it in the show notes tonight if you want to f- uh, follow up and uh, sign that letter uh, that Pantsuit Nation has um, put together. 
So, uh, also, uh, we had a couple of folks on the show last night. Wanted to rem- remind folks that uh, come two days from now, thir- Friday, excuse me, uh, there will be the Dignity Through Decades um, celebration for the Columbus Community Center, Center and they are uh, an organization that uh, does lots of great work, and they've been around for 50 years uh, for yeah. um, folks with disabilities. I had them on the show last night. If you want to hear more, you can go to the archives at krcl.org and listen to the show. That's right. And then uh, also uh, a rewind here, uh, considering Matthew Shepard is that premiere, oh. uh, Utah premiere, is going to be at the first uh, United Methodist Church uh, at 7.30, also on Friday. Friday and Saturday. Um, I imagine most people are familiar with Matthew Shepard. Mm-hmm. Um, Young but... boy in Wyoming who was killed because of his sexual identity. Right. So that's also, uh, you can find that in our archives as well and learn more about that. Um, then I'm going to turn it over to Natalie Benoit. Natalie Benoit. How are you, our volunteer on Wednesday nights? Doing well. Thanks, Laura. No cough drops for me today, thankfully. For... I got a bunch, though, if you need them, just so you know. <laughs> I'm real stockpile good to go. There. And I got my essential oils, <laughs> and I got my water that is also treated with electrolytes for taste. So, All right, great. Just in case you you're worried, I'm good to go. Set. No um, vodka. Yeah. Next time. <laughs> a couple of events coming up this weekend on Saturday, October 27th. There is a Know Your Rights training at the Glendale branch of the Salt Lake City Public Library. It's a training that's applicable to the public K-12 through system. Um, teaching students, including students with disabilities, about their rights and in learning more, learning more about re- what rights you have and how legal changes in juvenile justice laws affect students and their caregivers. That is Saturday, October 27th from 3.30 to 6 p.m. at the Glendale Branch of the Salt Lake City Public Library, 1375 South Concord Street in Salt Lake City. Also on Saturday, the Rape Recovery Center is hosting a rapid response training for all community members who are interested in supporting their in- supporting their friends and family members or really anyone who's being persecuted by ICE in Utah or areas surrounding Utah. And... These rapid response efforts are focusing on providing immediate support, whether someone has been detained, they're in deportation proceedings, or even if they've already been deported. So that is Saturday, October 27th. There's no time here. Um, at 2035 South, 1300 East in Salt Lake City. We'll get that time and post it in Rallies and Resources. Billy Palmer. One more reminder that uh, Halloween 2018 Time Travelers Ball is also on Saturday at 9 o'clock p.m. It starts at the Utah Pride Center. So that is going to be uh, a really fun event uh, for the whole family. Um, But that's Utah Pride Center. I believe it's family. Wait, I better make sure it's family friendly. It doesn't say family friendly on here. Uh, you can find out for yourself. But uh, costumes and uh, fun at the Pride Center. We'll on have Saturday. you do that How's research that so you, we can tell people by Friday. Uh, do not take my word for it that this is going to be something for the kids. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Hey, uh, Natalie. Anything else you want to talk about? That is okay. all I have. We can turn it over to you and Nick. All right, Nick. I've got the the NAACP Salt Lake Branch is celebrating a hundred years with the Freedom Fund banquet. Friday at Little America Hotel, reception at 6, and the banquet at 7. Keynote speaker is Bradford M. Barry, general counsel of the NAACP. Over the last three decades, he's distinguished himself in the practice of law, developing broad litigation management, regulatory enforcement experience, basically a ton of knowledge. And he's a partner in the Washington, D.C. office of a nationally recognized law firm. And he will be uh, the keynote speaker. 
the Albert Fritz Civil Rights Worker of the Year Award will be presented to our friend Dr. Jacqueline Jackie Thompson, who retired in 2017 from Davis School District as the Director of Educational Equity Department. You remember Dr. Jackie, Billy. She came on the show in in the um, the guise of Rosa Parks. Yeah, that's right. And a couple other characters yeah, from... Yeah, I can't remember the name of the person, but she was uh, the first female... First black pi- female pilot. Black female pilot. Yeah. yeah. She's a lot of fun. It was, a re- it was really great. So think, it's going to be a good banquet. I think a lot of people don't recognize the NAACP of Utah is not 100 years old, but pretty darn old. That group has been, uh, ha- has had a presence, I should say, in Utah for a long time now. And of course, this marks 100 years of the national organization. Pretty cool. So anyway, lots of uh, good stuff happening for the NAACP. We were going to have Janetta Williams, the president of the local chapter, on the show, but we uh, had some logistic foul-ups, and we'll get her on soon and talk about the work of the NAACP in our community. Nick, do you have anything? You've been watching the news. Did you see all this uh, this uh, breaking news today about the seven, I don't know, maybe more than seven packages now, sent to Maxine Waters, um, CNN. Obama's Clinton, CNN. Eric, and, Eric Holder, if memory serves. Yeah, Eric Holder. George Soros the other day got something mm. different. Yes, it's a bit frightening. It's hard not to be depressed by the news. Um, and and I really, I really am <clears throat> probably the most upset about how the dominant press outlets are pretty much just carrying water for the Trump administration when it comes to these folks down um, trying to get into Mexico for a better life. You know, they really, I hate to be overly cynical, but these folks want to come here to like wash cars and cut lawns and pick vegetables and yet they've been turned into a caravan of Middle of, Easterners and uh, MS-13. Yeah, and uh, the media, even though they might be trying to report the truth, they're basically just feeding it and throwing gasoline on the fire. And as we get close to the elections, I find that mighty depressing, if not a little bit upsetting. Uh, and of course, the media has totally dropped the ball on any sort of reporting on what has made all these people need to flee Central America and how the United States is so incredibly complicit in making those countries the s-holes that some people tend to call them um, with the death squads and the dictators and all else. But uh, that's what's got me worked up. But tonight we get to talk about birds and yep. we get to talk about the environment. So much I, better, actually. I think Billy won one more. Yeah? Sure. One more. One little small correction. I suggested that possibly uh, the time traveler's ball is family Freddy. Friendly, it is definitely not, according uh, to <laughs> Barbie Garcia, host of uh, Vagabond, Vagabond Radio. Radio. She says, Thanks, my friends, uh, throw that party. And it, she says, it's definitely, definitely not a family-friendly family, fr- family party. Adults-friendly party. It's, it's adult very adults-friendly party. And it, 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 it's got uh, uh, aerialists and go-go dancers and fire throwers and all sorts of stuff. So. Well, on the phone, we have waiting for us someone who can talk to us about the sage grouse, Nick. I remember when I first started doing this show, it's like, I am not going to do hour after hour of sage grouse news. But guess what? We need to do sage grouse news. Well, we've covered the sage grouse a couple times on the show. And, and again, we had somewhat of a plan to go forward. And now basically it's all out the window. So on the phone, Greta Anderson from Western Watersheds Project. Hi, Greta. Hi there. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me tonight. Oh, my pleasure. So where we're at now is a is a comment period for the Trump administration's plans to basically gut all the work that the Obama era uh, folks did to come up with some sage grouse protections 
for millions of acres, and this affects Colorado, Nevada, Idaho, uh, Wyoming, and Utah, all those five states. I think to start, tell us what had been put together, which again was originally a, a coming together of a lot of different groups to help the bird. Yeah, okay. Well, you summed it up really well there. Um, in 2015, the Obama administration released uh, resource management plan amendments that were for uh, 67 million acres of public lands, uh, about five and a half million of those on Forest Service lands, because the Bureau of Land Management, or the BLM, which is the acronym I'll probably be using more often, um, the BLM manages most of the sagebrush habitat in the West. The Forest Service manages a smaller percentage of it. But in any case, the plan amendments came out and put restrictions on how the sagebrush sage-grouse habitat could be used um, for things like mining, livestock grazing, et cetera. Um, that, those plans were supposed to be sufficiently restrictive to preclude the listing of the greater sage-grouse under the Endangered Species Act. So the greater sage-grouse population has been in decline for a long time. People are quite worried that this is a species facing extinction. In 2010, there was a court ruling that said it was probably warranted for protection under the Endangered Species Act. And so the agencies got to work trying to come up with some upfront strategies to um, prevent the listing of the species. That was that resulted in the 2015 plans. Um, my organization and a number of others felt that the 2015 plans weren't strong enough, that they actually didn't follow the best science, that they weren't didn't have enough protections in enough places to really, really, you know, protect the bird from extinction, but more importantly, to recover it. Um, and so we filed litigation over the Obama sagegrass plants, hoping to strengthen them by improving the scientific basis for management in those plans. But along comes the Trump administration, which has been systematically dismantling environmental protections, and the sage-grass plans are no exception. So we've had um, the Bureau of Land Management is a little bit ahead of uh, the Forest Service in their planning process. They've already released their uh, draft plans. We're expecting their proposed plans at the end of this month. Okay. The Forest Service just put out their draft plan at the beginning of October, and there's a 90-day public comment period on the Forest Service plans that's going on right now. And so that's um, what I think I'd like to talk to you about today is what the Forest Service side does to dismantle sage-grouse protections. So, Greta, I went and tried to find the link because we always put in our show notes each night links for listeners to take action, and I clicked on it, and the public comment link for the Forest Service and the DEIS doesn't work. So I've got an inquiry into them about what's going on. Yeah, well, that's also par for the course, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, it does not seem like the, this administration values public participation, and they're certainly not making it easy for the public to participate in, in a lot of their planning processes. That's unfortunate. I hope they get it fixed. Yeah. I so, will look into that. Um, there are ways to comment by submitting hard copies of comments and also... Um, you know, I'm sure that they'll have a link back up by the time 
these comments are due, which is in early January 2019. Yeah, not to be cynical, but put the link back up on day 89. So uh, again, cutting people out of the process, but again, cutting birds out of the process. I want to ask, this press release talks about 5 million acres um, of national forests and grasslands across the five states, including to expand loopholes for oil and gas development and so on. But you mentioned 60-some million acres, and yet this affects these plans affect only 5 million of those acres? So, um, as I mentioned, the total sage-grouse habitat in the western United States is 67 million acres on public land. Okay. But the majority of that is managed by the Bureau of Land Management. Okay. Because the Forest Service, and the Forest Service manages just um, over 5 million acres. Okay. Just wanted to be clear for folks. Habitat. Okay. Yeah, so, so sage-grouse their their habitat is down in the sagebrush, which is, you know, lower down in the valleys. And Forest Service tends to manage what were traditionally seen as timberlands, the woodlands higher up in the mountains. So sage-grouse habitat doesn't overlap with the geography that Forest Service manages quite as much as the BLM. Good point. And so for this comment period, if I understand correctly from what I've read, there's there's a no-action alternative, and then a two, an alternative two and an alternative three that folks could comment on. Yeah, so there's the no-action alternative, which would leave us with the 2015 plans, which um, are better than what's being proposed, but not strong enough. There's the proposed action, which is the weakening of the plans um, and almost uniformly favorable to industry and industrial-scale development on our public lands. And then there's the state of Utah alternative, which just affects Utah. So um, there's really only two alternatives to comment on. <laughs> and the thing to really for the public to really pay attention is how the proposed action, what the Forest Service is proposing to do, weakens the regulations of the 2015 plans in ways that really... Um, put the bird and its habitat at risk. Yeah, so it's a little confusing. The no-action alternative basically means leave the Obama-era deal in place. The alternative That's two, right. yeah, the alternative two would leave that in place and make some changes. And then That's alternative right. three, as you mentioned, is what the state of Utah wants. If I remember correctly, Utah was among the. I want to say, less happy entities with the 2015 compromise? That's correct. <laughs> yeah, there were a number of states that were really um, agitating for more local control and state control of public lands resources, which is a trend that we're seeing, you know, not just related to sage-grouse, but um, sort of an ideology of taking back the federal lands into local hands. And uh, well, that sounds good to some people. The risk of that is that sage-grouse are actually of interest to everybody. It's part of our, you know, national birthright to protect imperiled species and protect our public lands. We all own them equally as American taxpayers. And so coming up with this comprehensive range-wide overlay for how to protect, best protect a sage-grouse according to the science is really how we're going to save the bird, yeah. letting each state sort of weaken the standards according to their 
whims or their um, economic agendas is really puts the bird at greater risk. Not to mention short-sighted in the long haul. Do you, uh, in in what way, I guess I want to ask, do folks see the sage-grouse as an indicator species for the overall health of the Intermountain West, of the entire ecosystem? Well, the, the cliche that we hear a lot is, um, you know, it is the canary in the coal mine of the sagebrush ecosystem. The sage-grouse, because it's a wide-ranging species and, and occurs in the sagebrush throughout the West, if we see the bird, it, and it's sensitive to disturbance, so if you see the bird starting to decline, and we have, um, that means that the level of disturbance in the ecosystem at large is um, is high. And so all of the other species that occur, brewer, sparrow, pygmy rabbit, um, a, a lot of other species of interest also depend on the sagebrush ecosystem, and those are also at risk. So the sagebrush is kind of the, it, the sage grouse is kind of the indicator. It's a really charismatic um species, their little lecking dance. I don't know if that's yeah. family-friendly or not, <laughs> um, but, but sage-grass definitely have, uh, are very interesting and charismatic birds, and people love them. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's a good species to talk about um, in terms of how it, how it is sort of iconic and an indicator for the whole ecosystem. How about some numbers? You know, we're, we're, we're having this radio conversation about decline. What kind of percentage of decline are we talking about? And, and can you relate numbers as to how many there were and how many there are? You know, I am in the process of gathering information okay. from the states. Each state keeps track of the um, does their own lek and population counts every year. Okay. So I'm in the process of uh, re- gathering that information for 2018. But we've seen substantial uh, declines throughout over time. It's a bird that um, cycles through peaks and valleys in its population, but it uh, the long term trend is very poor for these species for the species how about climate change are the are they having to move to different areas or there are no other you know land systems to move to well that's certainly a huge concern and that's why we believe that the agencies should be doing all they can proactively to protect these places so that um, sage grouse and other species can move around as part of their adaptation strategy. Uh, Climate change is definitely having an effect on the sagebrush ecosystem, including um, increasing uh, invasive species and the flammability of the sagebrush ecosystem. So you have disturbance like livestock grazing, and then invasive species come in and they burn. And they burn through and they deplete the soils and make it difficult for native species to come back. But native species are facing the double whammy of climate changes and, you know, hotter temperatures, less precipitation, things like that. So it's adding to the general threat of climate change in the ecosystem. Yeah, threats from all sides. I mean, most of our listeners probably saw that Secretary Zinke recently came up with plans to increase large animals that folks could go out and shoot 
um, you know, help help those animals. But I'm guessing that doesn't really do much for the sage grouse. It doesn't. You know, sage grouse is a game species, and there are people who there are places where you can still hunt. I didn't know that. Huh. And hunting is a you know not as it's it's managed and limited and not the main threat yeah. to the species. Do people eat them? Weird. Yeah, I didn't do. know that. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Huh, prairie chickens. Okay. Good to know. Thank yeah. you for taking time. We'll make sure to put this comment period link in the show notes. Hopefully it'll be working. Exactly. Um, and again, there's the no action alternative, which would keep in place the Obama era. Alternative two, proposed action makes modifications to the no action. And then alternative three is the state of Utah alternative for folks who want to go in and comment. Got 90 days for that until very early January. Greta. People can also contact me if they have uh, more specific questions. Westernwatersheds.org will have more information about uh, the comment period and proposed comments as time goes on. Super. Thank you. And just briefly, tell us uh, the mission statement of Western Watersheds Project for our listeners who may not have encountered your group before. Western Watersheds Project is uh, has a mission to protect and restore Western watersheds and wildlife. Hey, Greta, and I appreciate it. we primarily on public lands and uh, imperiled species. Look forward to having you back on the show. Yes, please. Thanks so much. That's great. Greta, thank you. And there we go, our sage-grouse conversation. You yeah, not the, first, not the first one we've had, and it might not be the last. It was no. so amazing that environmental groups of, you know, the drilling folks and the policymakers all came together for this Obama-era plan that left— Nobody totally happy, but, you know, it was a compromise. And yet that isn't even good enough now, and we have to throw that out. It's a scary story, and that's what I want to talk about now. To wrap up our rallies and resources here, I had a conversation with Eric P. Nelson. He is our volunteer coordinator. But for two years now, he's been hosting Knock Knock, Thursday mornings at 1 a.m., a one-hour comedy show. So I thought he might have some funny stories about scary stuff or what scares him or some folks that he knows. So that's where we start. Here's Eric Nelson with a scary story. I grew up on, my bedtime stories growing up were ghosts and Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster and all that stuff. So some of the earliest shows I remember watching are Unsolved Mysteries. And there was one episode where there was a babysitter watching these kids. They're playing hide and seek. Kid goes in a closet. Never heard from again. That one has always stuck in my head. And, uh, Did my, that scare you as a kid? Like, that could happen he, to No, me. exactly. And, and my son, who's four and a half now, when he was young, he was just starting to walk. One day, it was just me and him, home alone, and I couldn't find him. And my brain went instantly to that Story. unsolved mysteries. As a dad, He oh disappeared. I don't... What am, and for whatever reason, that's where my brain went. And I had... A brief moment of panic, and ter- and I haven't felt it since. New dad but, fears. And then he was just in the corner. He there. was just in the corner just going, Dad, what are you freaking there. out yeah. about? But that was, that was, that was scary. Yeah. Unnecessarily. That's like a, that's like a new dad anxiety, right? And then yeah. it happens and you're like, ah! Yep, yep. What if he disappeared? Yeah. What do I say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, my nephew, kids and scary, they yeah. just go hand in hand. Well, when I was a kid, I used to have this dream over and over about snakes for some reason. Mm. And, and I'd wake up because the wrinkles in my sheets were terrifying me. <laughs> and I didn't sleep for like two months, my mom said. 
She had to sleep. Every time I woke up, we'd have to smooth out the sheet. <laughs> there's a there's a great uh, Patton Oswalt bit about what kids are afraid of, mm -hmm. um, and he was saying he. He was flipping through the channels, and there was a werewolf movie on, and his daughter was in the room, and it was werewolf turning into the a human turning into a werewolf, so just gory and bloody, and turning into a werewolf, and quickly flipped to the channel, and he found a cartoon with some dancing skeletons, and he's like, "All right, good." And that night, his daughter woke up just terrified, saying, "Daddy, is my skeleton gonna jump out of my body?" Oh my gosh. <laughs> And then she said, oh, remember that doggy with the T-shirt? So it's like oh my werewolves gosh. or dancing skeletons. You, you never you know. You have no idea what people are going to be afraid of. I had a nephew who, I still have this nephew, <laughs> who was afraid of folks in cosplay, but very specific cosplay. <laughs> all right? Any Darth Vader, any Stormtrooper freaked yeah. out. And I'm sorry. I know you're such a Star Wars That's fan. true. But he also freaked out at the sign of the giant string cheese at the Italian <laughs> festival. Just seeing it, just in his peripheral, starts screaming like a mad dog. Yeah, those things that are supposed to be fun. My, my nephew, same thing. He's terrified of the Muppets. Oh, yeah? Which, Which anyone in particular? Just the Muppet. I think oh, it's wow. just the Muppet form. And I didn't know this. So for for Christmas, a couple Christmases ago, I made him a T-shirt with the Swedish chef on it. Oh, no. And I thought, oh, he would love this. And he <laughs> opened it, and his face just white as a ghost. And he looked at his dad, my brother, and he's like, I don't, I don't like this, Dad. Oh, my God. And I, I had no idea what Uncle was going Eric, on. Yeah, tormenting. And, and apparently, he had a dream that the Muppets were going to chase him. Oh my and gosh! That, the Swedish chef was leading the pack. <laughs> I, it'd be funny. Oh, but man. it was still to this day. He's yeah. nine now, and so Muppets just yeah. not his thing. One of my brothers, my mom had made curtains in their room. There were two of my brothers that shared a room, and they were Sesame Street characters on the <laughs> curtains. And he used to wake up screaming, thinking that Snuffleupagus was biting his feet. And he was kicking his socks off in his sleep. Yeah. But Snuffleupagus was on the curtain, and he was coming to eat him. Ah, it's fun being scared. It's fun. <laughs> some people love it. Some people hate it. It's, it's good. Have you ever seen a ghost? Do you have any no, ghosts? No, no. Uh -uh. Have you? No. I... Yeah. I've got nothing. We, on our Labor Day special, I, I worked in a cemetery for years. And the weirdest thing is I, I heard kids giggling one time and there was nothing there. And I still don't know if it you was. You were getting I just, punked. Yeah, there's a definite possibility. Well, do you know the story the of Elmo's thing? grave? Is that the one out here? Yeah, it's up at the cemetery yeah. in the avenue. I've been on a, a variety of ghost tours in uh -huh. town. My uh, my wife and I's very first date was a haunted cemetery tour back in Maine. Was it? So, what was the cemetery called? It was in Bath, Maine. Bath. Bath the cemetery yeah. doesn't sound scary. It's not, but it's old. I mean, yeah. everything back there is old. Did you so. get her to jump in your arms? Classic. Classic. <laughs> there's, I mean, around here though is there's so much history with the railroads. So mm -hmm. lots of good, the uh, the the Park City ghost tours fantastic the ogden one up and down 25th street like every bar on 25th street has a ghost or two yep. in it. it's interesting stuff so your final show is halloween, halloween night. night so wednesday thursday yep. 1 a.m in the morning on thursday 
and uh, what's going to happen to the show to Knock Knock? I'm, I, I feel such a, a bit of ownership having helped you name I it. No, it. I I've got a, a replacement coming in, and he's going to start to shadow tonight. Oh, who's that? Um, local comedian Andy Farnsworth. Oh, great. Yeah, so he's going to start to shadow, and hopefully, he's going to just jump in. Um, that next week after Halloween. Take over. So it's not going to be the same thing I do, but it's going to be comedy. So I'm happy that it's it's going to continue. And that's Eric P. Nelson of <laughs> Knock Knock. And Eric your first, P. Nelson. Yes, that's right. Uh, if you missed the Labor Day special, it explains why it's always Eric P. Nelson. You'll have to go and look it up in our uh, archives <laughs> at carecl.org. But yeah, he's been doing it for two years. Now he's got a, a second kid at home, and it's like, I'm too tired to get up at 1 a.m., <laughs> But Andy Farnsworth, local comedian, not Andy Farnsworth, the uh, reporter on a local TV station. Different Andy, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do you have any ghost stories? Not off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, not something I super was into as a kid or whatnot. Yeah. Um, Halloween, we used to have fun going out for the candy and all that. Yeah. Um, and there was a few kids in our neighborhood who would sneak up and scare the crap out of you so they yeah. could steal your candy. Uh-huh. Uh, I was the victim, not the perpetrator, generally ah. as a kid. Um, my best Halloween story would be 1960. The small town I lived in did a Halloween parade, uh, with all the kids would march through the downtown and there were prizes and everything. And that particular year, Halloween 1960, my costume was a tombstone and believe it or not, the tombstone read Kennedy rest in peace, 1960. And it was a little bit of, you know, toss off from my parents' republicanism, Uh and I was basically wearing a Kennedy tombstone that he would lose the election. And it was like an old, like, washing machine box with eye holes cut in it, and my mom had sewn a sheet to fit over it, and in this little conservative town in the suburbs of Detroit, it was a huge hit. I won a prize, a little electric motorboat to take in the bathtub, and, uh, and I was seven years old, maybe. Uh-huh. And uh, then, you know, I'm 10 years old, and, and he's shot in the head And you in feel Dallas. guilty for your three-year-old like, costume. Huh. And then, of course, I turned into somewhat of a progressive leftist myself. But yeah. that, uh, that's my little creepy Halloween story. Well, <clears throat> we want people's scary stories, funny scary stories, weird scary stories, whatever you'd like to share. Use your smartphone. Record it. Uh, and send it to us, radioactive at krcl.org, because next week next on, your Wednesday. Sh- on your show, it's our Halloween edition of Radioactive yeah, with Nick some, Burns. Have some good stories. And with that in mind, here's some David Bowie on 90.9 KRCL, Scary Monsters and Super Creeps.
Support for 90.9 FM KRCL provided by Schneider Auto Carrosserie Body and Paint. Offering collision repair and restoration to pre-accident condition for most cars and light trucks. Schneider Auto negotiates directly with insurance companies. Details, services, hours, and location at schneiderauto.net. KRCL would like to thank everybody that chipped in during Fall Radiothon. A big thanks to Cafe Ibis, Carlucci's Bakery and Cafe, The Blue Iguana, and not a sideshow's Circus Brown for keeping us well-fed throughout the drive. A big thank you from the volunteers, DJs, and staff here at 90.9 FM KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. You're listening to Radioactive on 90.9 FM KRCL. Coming up at 7, Nick Burns, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez. And on the show tonight, they're going to be talking about voter suppression in Georgia, the governor's race, Democrat Stacey Abrams, slams Republican and Secretary of State Brian Kemp, on suppressing votes as he worries that too many Georgians may vote. They actually have a tape of that, of him Uh saying that. And again, you would expect any candidate to say something along the lines of everybody get out and vote. Mm -hmm. But having somebody kind of say the reverse of that, we hope those other people don't vote when he's in charge of the voter rolls. Yes. A little bit. And he uh, won't resign that task either. He refuses. Yeah. And then, of course, now we've seen in the news the $800,000 loan he owes, and it's it, the guy's sounding increasingly fishy. And then <clears throat> in Dodge City, Kansas, oh. Latino voter suppression, as the city's only polling site, is moved outside the city limits. That's at 7 on Democracy Now! Emily's mixtape at 8 p.m., Maximum Distortion with Forgash and Cody D at 10.30. Knock Knock with Eric B. Nelson. His next to last show at 1 a.m. Coming up. Coming up, we're going to talk with uh, with the author Bruce Nagy about his new book, The Clean Energy Age, A Guide to Beating Climate Change. I got a review copy. I was able to read this before publication. Pretty good read. I must admit, I really liked it. I'm interested in the uh, action items. Yes. So we'll get into that. Okay. Bruce Nagy, welcome to Radioactive on KRCL. Thanks so much for your time this evening. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So I, I want to jump in here as a place to start. You know, at the very beginning, you write, the time's come for a different kind of conversation about climate change. What got you into writing this book? Well, you know... <laughs> funny story, I guess, that everybody has a five-year-old son. (laughs) He looked up to me with those innocent eyes and said, Dad, we're different, aren't we? I was yelling at the television, you know. (laughs) We're different, aren't we? We're we're doing something about it. 
And I thought about that, and I was an ad agency creative huh. director. I was pursuing the American dream. I wasn't really doing that much about it. Well, you were yelling so at the TV. I changed my career, and uh, I focused on solutions, the solu- because I figured there were enough people talking about the problem. Yeah. So I started to write articles about clean energy, and I started to interview experts. And now, 16, 17 years later, it's been 700 experts. I didn't really realize it until I added it up. When it's such a big problem, an overwhelming problem, I think it's easy for the general public to tune out. At least I find myself going, well, I've already put the brick in my toilet. I already turned the lights out. I already um, chain my stops in a day. I try to, to walk when I can. And it just becomes overwhelming. Yeah, it is overwhelming. And, you know, I think that, that I had the same experience. So when I uh, sat down to uh, figure out, you know, what is the, what is our plan, which is really what I'm about, I decided to go to the International Energy Agency and look at the actual usage of energy. In most countries, there are three sort of categories that use 70 or 75 percent of the energy, and that's buildings, homes, you know, uh, vehicles, and power plants, those three areas. Then... Many years later, after having talked to experts in those areas, I realized, hey, there's a huge high level of consensus about what the best practices are, and there are tons of proven solutions in those three areas. So the other areas are a lot more emotional, a lot more controversial. You've got the vegans and all the, all the agriculture guys. Don't, I, I don't even deal with those areas. I stick to the three that are going to get me 75% of the emissions, and that's with homeowners, you know, top 10 lists I have. That's what's in the book. Top 10 lists for homeowners, for investors, for uh, people who work in government, for people who work in radio. For You know, there's a top 10 oh, list. Oh, good. Top 10 list for media. So your, your top 10 list for homes is pretty, a lot of it's fairly easy stuff, except I was really intrigued by the drain water heat recovery, which I don't know a whole lot about, but seems to make sense. But that seemed like something that might be a little bit more costly to install. Actually, that's one of the less expensive ones. It's really? It's probably about less than $1,000 installed, including the product. Um, and, but it also isn't a huge ticket item for savings. Like, everything I do is, is about saving the planet and saving money, right? Right. And uh, in this case, not, people don't spend a lot of money on heating their water, but it's a really good product. <clears throat> How it works is it's, it preheats the incoming cold water by uh, retaining the energy that is going literally down your drain when you're having a shower. So it, uh, it just takes that energy and uses it to preheat your incoming cold, and then you just leave. So have the, okay, so have the, have, the, water. have the incoming cold line through yeah. the drain line so it's preheated. Okay, so that's yeah. not quite so crazy. I have to say, you know, the, my first thought immediately is, is, as you write, we can put somebody on the moon, we can build a weatherproof house, but yet here in Utah, we've actually seen the building industry lobby successfully our state legislature to not increase building codes for greener homes. It's, in, it's crazy. Yeah, I think that's a bit of an exception, and I don't really actually, I confess I don't know the story there because the building codes are changing everywhere. But I do know that the construction industry has traditionally been very slow to change in many, many countries for decades. In fact, it's less efficient now than it used to be. But that 
the bigger picture of that is changing because now the uh, I guess the money people are getting control of construction and they're starting to use sophisticated modeling not only to model the buildings themselves but the the construction schedules. You know, things are really changing. They're prefabbing things. They're building things in factories. Lots of reasons to think that the industry will get more efficient. Uh, will it get greener? It is everywhere else. So I think eventually <laughs> uh, there won't be very much choice in, in an isolated state. Yeah. Well, and I think most of the action is happening at state and municipal level good when point. it comes to... Buildings. Well, in fairness, many of the people in our legislature are developers and whatnot, so right. anything that's going to cost a nickel is going to bother them. I also really liked your top 10 list for political leaders, which essentially your ideas are about, I mean, this is a list for political leaders, and your ideas are, gosh, about leadership. <laughs> it, right. it doesn't seem like it well, should be that hard. I mean, if they, if, if, you know, most people, and let's be honest, we we think about our friends and family and our you know survival and you know paying the mortgage and our uh, uh, and our tuition for six days a week and then seventh day we're an environmentalist and I think <laughs> that's the same with politicians they think about getting votes for six days and on the seventh day they care about the planet so we need to talk to them in terms that they can understand and we need to talk about votes. And I think they need to know what the polls are saying. They need to know what the investors in the world are saying. They need to know, uh, you know, what uh, how they can actually create jobs. Good point. And uh, the, you know, the biggest, the the most in demand job in America right now is wind technician, followed closely by solar installer. Right? Think things we teach at the college where I teach. So yes, I agree. Um, I, what shocks me, I guess, and I was thinking of this when I was reading that list for political leaders, is even though it was wildly corrupt, the U.S. government led out on constructing railroads. They led out on building freeways. They were ahead and led out on creating the Internet. And yet now with something that seems so easy in my mind is green energy, it's stall, stall, delay, delay. Well, you know, I think if you watch the news, you'll you'll get the national news, and you'll get you know what's happening in the nation's capital in every country. And those people, those politicians, cannot say anything that's going to make everybody happy. So they tend to say the things that is going to make their benefactors happy. <laughs> uh, I think you really need to ignore all that and go to where the action is, because you know energy is mostly regulated by states. Uh, vehicles are regulated by all three levels, but mostly by states, and and buildings are mostly regulated by states and Locally. cities. Locally, good point. So, you know, I think I wouldn't worry too much about that. Um, I and I and I think there's a lot more changing than you think. Uh, this year, 300,000 electric vehicles will be sold in the United States of America, which is astounding because it's twice as many as last year. And uh, we already had growth of 28 or 27 yeah. percent. So. Well, I'll brag that in Utah, we just finally got a Tesla dealership, which was a big political fight. So they were just loading cars into the Tesla lot today. Um, the number one, uh, number one in your top 10 list for teachers and people in the media, people speaking in public and for entertainers. I, I, I had to pause when I read this. Number one on the list, don't use the words climate debate. Well, because 
97% of the publishable, peer-reviewed scientists in the world believe in climate science. That's a higher consensus than that the world is round. That's a higher consensus than cancer is caused by smoking. That's like there are there are some, there's something called a science academy in each of our 190 or so countries in the world, and every single science academy in the world has accepted the science of climate change. So you know, it's there's no real debate. The only debate is among uh, people who are, have no qualification to have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well said. Um, you you say for engineers, architects, plumbers, electricians, tradespeople, you suggest to think quote bigger about energy. And I what what do you mean by bigger? Think bigger about energy. Oh, I don't remember writing that, but I think they, the, the main thing that they need to understand is that they can improve their business very quickly. Okay. I mean, that's one thing that, that's the story that's not being told. And it's not being told because the people who are getting wealthy on clean energy today are keeping it quiet. Why wouldn't, why would they give away their secrets? The biggest and best plumbing and heating and architecture firms are all in the clean energy business. If you talk to any real estate person, they'll tell you that a building uh, leases much quicker if it's got green features. Uh, all the top corporations are looking for green buildings to move their head offices into. Uh, the rents are higher. The studies show that. You know, uh, and there's so many areas. If you specialize in heat pumps or geothermal today, you're going to have a lot of business because there are not as many people who are specializing in those clean energy areas right now because it's at sort of the beginning of the curve. Um, it's a good time to get trained up and take advantage. Good, pe- good point. I mean, you, you have a whole chapter that, you know, basically business people are the most important environmentalists. I mean, you mentioned well, Walmart and Levi's and Nike and others. Well, I guess money talks, doesn't yeah. it, right? I mean, we need to understand, uh, first of all, that it's, not a, it, it, it's, not a, it's no longer a bad word to say, hey, let's save some money. Hey, let's start a new business. Instead of saying, oh, let's do the right thing, let's say, let's do the smart thing. You know, it's no longer, you know, we have to change, we have to evolve as environmentalists. We have to evolve our message. And also, as as citizens, we need to accept that it's not someone else's problem. It's not the government's problem. It's not the corporation. We are the corporations. We are the government. And we should be all environmentalists at this point because we're running out of time. Good point. And we tend to forget that, don't we, that, you know, government of, by, and for the people, it actually is us. But it doesn't seem like people act that way. Well, you know, I was surprised, actually, when I started working in government to realize one day that just about everything I was doing and everything everyone in City Hall, I was working in a municipal government, uh-huh. everything they were doing, all the policies and procedures were all designed around taking in feedback and then acting upon it. So, you you know, cynically, we always say, oh, nobody listens, nobody does anything. But that's the way government works. It works on our feedback. It takes all its cues from us. Really, government follows. It doesn't lead. We lead. Yeah, good point. I want to get back to we, we, we were just talking about electric cars, and you have that in, in the book. You quote Forbes magazine, 12 years, 100 million electric cars on the road, uh, close to $2,000 in fuel savings per year. And of course, that's at today's dollars. Where do you see the electricity coming from? Because I know some people, especially here in the Intermountain West, where we're still largely coal fed, 
a lot of people have a fear of atomic energy, which I know you don't support, but you think green energy can easily work. Oh, well, it is working, and it's a combination of the wind, the solar, the storage, and the smart grid. And this week I was actually doing a story on smart grid, and I was talking to smart grid uh, engineers and uh, hydro people, and they were telling me that they've already developed a lot of software and a lot of systems to, to address that very problem, because the average American house will use a couple of kilowatts and uh, a charger could be six, eight kilowatts. So that's a problem. So, you know, well, we've got to face that grid problem. Can the grid handle it? So there are a lot of IT technicians and storage people that are putting batteries up on, I'm seriously, up on poles, hydro poles. They're doing a lot of things, and they're trying a lot of things, and they're solving this problem. So and near the end of the book, you write about approaching elected officials and reaching out to other governor people. And, Bruce, it sounds like you've worked in government um, yes. So take our listeners through, you, you make three key points for reaching out to elected officials. I really like that part of the book. I don't remember what oh, they are. Oh, gosh, you, you wrote this book. We're trying to keep it in front of people. When, <laughs> when, does, it, uh, when, does, it, when does it come out? Because I know I have an advanced copy here. Uh, it's, it's already out. You can buy okay. it now, and you can get the pre-Christmas special by going on my website at bfnagy.com. Uh, and you should, because then you get the promo code, which gives you the 30% off. And there's a button there that you <laughs> the click ad on man at work. to the publisher's site. And then you put in the promo code and you get the 30% pre-Christmas. One of the things that I like about your approach is you really are using your the knowledge you've accumulated over your career as an ad man. And what people listen to are celebrities. And you've got this celebrity green celebrity quiz. I, I knew a couple of them. <laughs> and the one that I knew the most was the Robert Kennedy one. That's in the Ed Begley Jr. So I guess I'm not up on my celebrities. But what is the power of a celebrity in this in this area to make change? Well, I think we all know, uh, especially as a marketer, I remember that uh, when the basketball players all started buying Nike shoes, they sold like crazy. Uh, I, I can't explain it because I myself am not that impressed by celebrities. I'm a Canadian. Canadians aren't really. But uh, I think that uh, I'm interested in uh, particularly a few uh, celebrities when it comes to clean energy, and one of them is Brad Pitt, oh, yeah. who is a very green guy, and after Katrina, he built these really great homes down in, in New Orleans, and, and they were affordable. They were the same price, and they uh, are clean running and really cheap to operate, and people love it. Yeah, and you cover the, you cover Brad Pitt in the book, actually. Um, and another thing you cover in the book that I was quite happy to read about is desalinization of salt water, because clearly water is going to become an issue for many, many, many people and oh, yeah. I think that's my next book. It's like okay. it's rising quickly to the top of the priority list, but we still have to deal with the air air pollution problem. But desalination, yes, it, it it's an energy hog, yes. and it's expensive. So it certainly has not been solved. So it certainly would not go into my category of a proven technology yet. Well, well, it's proven, I mean, technically, but it's not viable commercially, Cost-wise, really. Yeah. But it's net, it's, it, it's some, sometimes you have no choice. And I think that's true of California. They don't have very many choices with the drought that they've been having. It, it comes and it goes, but I think it's the overall uh, pattern is that it's here to stay. So. 
And speaking of uh, the amount of energy that it would take to either boil water or freeze it to get the salt out, you, uh, you, I got, I, it took me a minute and I actually reread this part. Natural gas is, quote, for Stone Age builders. And yet everyone now is touting natural gas, natural gas. It's this new great thing that's going to get us to wherever we're going. And you don't really see natural gas that way at all. Well, it's a fossil fuel. You burn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, that message, you know, I don't know whether the, the natural gas industry has been successful in their advertising, but uh, people seem to forget that. It's like, oh, natural gas is going to be our transition fuel, and we've got so much of it now, and we are energy independent. But uh, you point out that if you build a really, really good house, you're not going to need a great big furnace anyway. Oh, did we lose him? Bruce, are you still there? I think we lost Mr. Nicky. We might. It was it's a it's a great book. It's an easy read. Um the first third of it are these ten are these various top ten lists. Mm-hmm. Um top ten lists for doctors. Top ten oh, lists. Oh, what does for, it say about doctors? Pull uh, that one up. I'll have to pull that Bruce, one up. Bruce, are you there? I think we have lost him. Let me find uh, let me find medical professionals. I should have thought of you when I was going through the That's book. That's all right. And, uh, yeah, I need a doctor to look at my lungs. But you know what's interesting? He talked about Brad Pitt, but I seem to recall a news story, and I just pulled it up. That he's being sued by New Orleans residents who say Make It Right sold them defective homes, turning into class action lawsuit. So I don't know if that celebrity is a good one to name. He got a lot of publicity for building those houses. Yep. And yes, now there are complaints about how they're built and whatnot. Top 10 clean energy solutions in order of importance for medical professionals. See summary, page 32. So he has them all written out in long form. And then you can go to the quick page and just see them. Um, upgrade your practice to clean and efficient building systems. Upgrade medical equipment to greener. Increase communication about climate change with patients. Increase communication about climate change with policymakers. Give governments specific assignments. Have a conversation about climate change with your organization's leaders. Green your computer systems. Buy an electric vehicle. Get your medical facility to green its fleet. And do medical research related to climate change. That sounds like Utah Physicians for a Healthy Environment right there. Okay, you said there was one in there for media. Yes. And since we're on the radio, Nick, we should listen to the top 10 list from the Clean Energy Age by Bruce Nagy. What does okay. it tell us to do? Uh, summary, media teachers, speakers, and entertainers, climate change priority action steps. Number one, as I mentioned when I talked with Bruce, do not use the phrase climate debate. Number two, learn the economic truth, because lots of people don't talk about that. Three, keep the Clean Energy Age on the front page. Four, keep updated and keep reinventing yourself. Number five, expose the bad guys. Number six, be surgical and persuasive, like Bruce with his ad background. Number seven, demand government action. Number eight, explain climate solutions simply and clearly, which this book clearly does. Nine, walk the walk for credibility. And number 10, the summary for media teachers, speakers, and entertainers, walk the walk for other reasons. Bruce, do we have you back? Yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. We were just le- reading the list that we're supposed to do as uh, part of the <laughs> media sector. So we've got our, our lists cut out for us, and that's uh, what Nick was saying before we got you back on the phone. He really likes about this book, that it is easy to do, easy to access, easy to digest. Yeah, but I do want to caution you that some of the biggest actions are expensive. You need to fix your house 
that could be a big geothermal or solar panel array, but you need to press your government to give you some upfront cash. It doesn't have to be free money. You can pay it back, and the savings will cover the the uh, equipment usually in a third of the life of the equipment. Good the point. Same with a car. You need to do, you know, you got to get out there and bite the bullet and buy that car. But again, you're going to save two, three hundred dollars in gas every single month. Good so point. You're going to, you know, it's worth it. Bruce so, Snakey, thank you so much for giving us this time this evening. Yes, thank you. Okay, thanks a lot. Have a good one. You, you too. too. In the very end of his book, he suggests readers take a few deep breaths and be peaceful. How cool is that? Yep. Right After you read this book and you're like, oh my God, the hell, hell in a handbasket. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, take a few deep breaths, relax. Exactly. I take Great a deep book. breath and I cough up a lung. But anyway, <laughs> so send us, your, send us your scary stories yes. for Nick's show next week. Please. Use your smartphone. Three minutes. Keep it family friend, family friendly. Tell me something personal that scares you or scared somebody or a prank you pulled on somebody. We'd love to share your stories on next Wednesday's Halloween special with Ooh. the professor, Nick Burns. Ooh. Just email that to radioactive at krcl.org. Your smartphone's got a memo function there. You can go find it. My thanks to Natalie Benoit, Billy Palmer, Nick Burns. Thank My you. My pleasure. And I'm Laura Jones. Democracy Now! is next. Good night. KRCL 90.9 FM HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru, offering service along the Wasatch Front, including a Subaru valet program. When services do, specialists pick up wherever is convenient. With extended service hours, open until 8 p.m. on weekdays. More information at markmillersubaru.co. KRCL would like to thank all the listeners who donated during Fall Radiothon and Fisher Brewing, Scott McKay, and Tom Hunter for providing challenge grants. Thanks. We couldn't do it without you. Support for KRCL is provided by the Tin Angel Cafe, offering European fare crafted with local ingredients, accepting reservations for holiday parties in a private dining room located across from Pioneer Park in Salt Lake City. Pacifica, this is Democracy Now! Under Secretary Kemp, more people have lost the right to vote in the state of Georgia. They've been purged, they've been suppressed, and they've been scared. In this farce about voter suppression and people being held up from being on the rolls and being able to vote is absolutely not true. Georgia Secretary of State Brian Kemp and Democrat Stacey Abrams spar in their first gubernatorial debate in Georgia. Amidst growing accusations, Kemp's overseeing widespread voter suppression in an attempt to prevent Abrams from becoming the nation's first female African-American governor. Newly leaked audio shows Kemp telling Republican donors he's concerned too many Georgians would exercise their right to vote. We'll speak to Harvard Kennedy professor Leah Wright Rigger and investigative journalist Greg Pallast, then to Dodge City, Kansas, where authorities have moved the city's only polling location outside the city limits to an area not accessible by public transport. The city is 60 percent Latino. Then, who's behind ICE? We look at how Amazon, Microsoft, and Palantir, among other big tech firms, are profiting from detention and deportations. Introducing Amazon Recognition Video, the easy